hello and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn how to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Laurie, and this show isn't just about movement and nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your mental and physical health and well-being. It's also about stress management, mindset, shedding those limiting beliefs, and working through some of your childhood trauma while you're at it. Today, I'm joined by Elliot Hassoun. Elliot is an experienced online health and fitness coach and the host of the Simply Fit podcast. Elliot's journey with health and fitness began over a decade ago when he set out on a mission to get in shape after being subconscious about his body as a teenager in school. Over the past 10 years, Elliot has gone from a young personal trainer to one of the most experienced online health and fitness coaches globally. He specializes in body transformation with a huge focus on long-term sustainability and delivers those he works with the solution to get in shape and stay in life for shape for life as well. Elliot and I had such a great chat. It was honestly so nice just to vibe and chat with another personal trainer who has this holistic approach and fully integrates the psychological and social aspects of fitness and nutrition habits. If you're looking for an actionable general strategy towards health and nutrition and fitness, you're going to want to listen to this one. How are you going today, Elliot? I am amazing, Laurie. Thank you for asking and thank you for having me. How are you today? I'm good. I'm so excited to have you tuning in from Mexico City of all places to chat about fitness because I don't have that many personal trainers on the show and I'm super psyched to chat to another trainer. Likewise, I think that personal trainers are maybe not getting the attention and care that they deserve. So I'm glad that we're uh, flying the flag for both of them today. Yeah, exactly. I think um, on this podcast, I attract a lot of like psychology experts and people into like alternative medicine or people into CBD and all this sort of stuff. Actually, my sponsor is CBD, but it's funny like how I attract all these different types of people. It's like, I should speak to someone who does the same job as me. <laughs> exactly. And I really do think that when you find the right personal trainer or online coach, like they're worth their weight in gold. I think the challenge is, is that, you know, that's maybe one out of every hundred, you know, and because of it, it's such a kind of saturated industry, but just like every other industry, to be completely honest. But when you do find a good one and one that has the best intentions and doesn't just care about just training and nutrition, but kind of brings in those other aspects that we've discussed just before we got on, it's like unbelievable. It's like, like I said, worth its weight in gold. I couldn't agree more, Elliot. And I do believe that it should be a little bit harder to be a personal trainer. And, you know, a lot of the study that we do is self-study. It's not necessarily stuff that was included within our training qualifications, which kind of leads me to usually my first question that I have for podcast guests. So you are a trainer, you help people with fat loss, which is why a lot of people come to training to start with. But you Mm -hmm. know that, you know, they've got to do the inner work at some sort of stage and you know that it's more than just fat loss. And I feel like everybody has some sort of story as to why they get into the trade and want to help people in the way that they help people. So can you provide the context that I would need to understand about your life to understand why you're a fat loss coach now? Of course. And yeah, mine's very, very revealing once you understand that. So I grew up as a pretty chubby child and, you know, it wasn't anything to do with 
you know, the fact that I was being lazy or anything like that, I was heavily active into sports. I loved, you know, to be outdoors and everything along those lines as I was growing up. But I was just one of these kids who had that little tire around his waist, you know, had like the little, like, I guess, boy boobs. You can't really call them man boobs when you're like 12, 13 years old. And that was kind of my reality when I was a lot younger. And, um, you know, and it wasn't, and I always find this quite unusual, or at least people who talk to me find this unusual. It's like, how are you so aware of your body at that age? And I was like, well, I think I just was. And I think that, you know, most people are when you're 12, you're 13 and you're seeing people in the changing rooms in your PE classes and you realize that your waist isn't as flat as theirs. And eventually that's what I realized. And, you know, there was a few comments here and there. I wouldn't say I got like proactively bullied, but you know what, you know, uh, schools are like and classrooms are like. And that kind of kind of grated on me for a little while. And I wasn't comfortable with it. And I realized I give credit to my 13, 14 year old self here. And he was just like, well, what do you need to do? And he was like, well, you know, you have access to a laptop, you have access to a Google. So I started typing in like Zac Efron physique because of the high school musical was big at that time. And I was like, David Beckham physique. Exactly. So these were my idols at the time. And I was like, I don't want to be Arnold Schwarzenegger. And that's usually most people's journey, right? It's like, well, I, I, I watched Pumping Iron. I really want to get in shape. I was like, well, David Beckham and Zac Efron would be enough for me. So I started to search their diets online, found uh, high protein, low carb everywhere. So I did the best with what was in my kitchen. Like I went and raided my freezer cupboards to see what I could calculate up to having a decent amount of protein. And that was kind of where my journey started on nutrition. And then with training, I wasn't able to go to a gym because in the UK, it was hard to get into a gym unless you were like 16 years old. And I was like 14, 15 at the time. So I started doing like tricep dips on my bath. I got like two shampoo bottles together, started doing some bicep curls, you know, so I was doing everything I could to try and turn things around. And slowly but surely I noticed, you know, differences starting to come. And I was eventually able to get my first one, two, three kilo weight set, you know, for like a 15th or 16th birthday, probably like 15th actually, eventually got myself into a gym. And then, you know, it all manifested from there. I saw the impact it had on me my self-confidence as a young teenager. And then I was also able just to see like how beneficial it was just for my mindset and my confidence and everything along those lines. And then eventually manifested into personal training. And, you know, I love the fact that I got so much from health and fitness and I saw that it was a challenge for so many people. I was fortunate enough to kind of solve the majority of my challenges when I was younger, but people deal with this until their forties, fifties, sixties. And if I had the opportunity to help them and it was something I loved, I was like, I'm definitely going to do this. And that's kind of how the story went to put it in a short uh, five minute version. I love that, Elliot. Your story is so sweet in so many ways. And I can definitely resonate with the um, the shampoo bottles. <laughs> My brother, it was so funny. I hung so much shit on this as you do with your siblings. But he started putting rice in milk bottles and curling them. <laughs> Oh, I like that. That was very creative. That was <laughs> the problem, creative. you know, when someone started using the shampoo, you're like, okay, well, my weights are lighter today. So you have to go for the new bottles as much as possible with rice and uh, anything else you can fill with bottles. That's a smart idea. I should have, should have stolen that. <laughs> uh, that's all right. If there's any 13-year-old kids uh, listening to listening, this, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry about the swearing, but there's an idea. <laughs> I'm really curious about what it was like. So I had the opposite experience. I was a really skinny kid and almost like got got lightly teased for being a skinny kid. And then I um I got curvy when when I got older, you know, just when I went through puberty, I got I got the button, the the boobs, which um is cool now, but it wasn't cool at the time when the Mm -hmm. you know thigh thigh gap was a big thing. So having the opposite experience, I'm really curious about 
what it kind of did to your psyche as you were going through that transformation? Like, did you, could you use that as fuel? Like those, those little digs for being a chubby kid or did it, has it affected your life in some way? 1000%. I would say a lot more when I was younger. Like I was at the stage where I would go in the toilet cubicles to go change my t-shirt for PE class. Like I was like, I don't want to deal with these comments today. Let me pretend I just need to go pee. Let me go pee and then change my t-shirt at the same time. So I didn't have to deal with that. So it definitely impacted me. And that's why, you know, like I said, I give credit to that younger version of myself for saying, okay, well, you need to do something about this. And I definitely used it as fuel. You know, there was a moment where, you know, after school, you would go hang out with your friends for an hour. Like I, I stopped doing that immediately. And I just walked straight to the gym because of at the point I was able to join one. I was still in school and there was like a, a younger teens uh, kind of time slot between like 3.30 and 5.30 p.m. So I was like, okay, I need to rush home and get to that. So my motivation to improve was massive. You know, not only was I doing the work at home, but I was rushing to the gym rather than hanging out with my friends. And I would say that quite a lot of my life thereafter, maybe not in that sense. I think I overcome that quite quickly because of once you do start lifting weights as a child, like all of a sudden you're like the only 15 year old to do it apart from maybe three in your school. So you start to stand out a little bit. So that was really helpful from that standpoint. But I've used that quite a lot in my life. You know, anytime someone's doubted me or anytime someone's made a comment about something I might not be able to do or my age or whatever it is, that's usually been a way of saying, okay, let me show you, you know, and that's kind of been the way it has been. Was that a similar experience for yourself? Yeah, for me, it was more so I got into fitness like on and off. So I was a dancer and gym- mm-hmm. gymnast. So I've certainly, um, luckily for me, I've had the muscle memory as a I've had the muscle memory since I was young. I'm very good with any core based movements and pretty nice. good when it comes to technique. Also, I studied biomedical science. So when it came to doing my personal training qualifications when I was 26, like a lot of the anatomy and physiology was really basic in the personal training sure. qualification. But for me, it's more so I don't know if I'm ADHD. Um, but you know, when I'm scrolling through TikTok and watching the ADHD memes, like I get the distracted, the procrastination, the hyper-focusing on one thing and all of that sort of stuff. So for me, mm-hmm. what's been really challenging and I can relate to my clients a lot is the yo-yoing, the going really intense and then like kind of just eating a lot of crap. And I actually was addicted to Coca-Cola until I was 23. So oh, wow. I came, yeah, I came from a poor family. So I've been working since I was 13. And what I spent all of my money on was the stuff I wasn't allowed to have because I had my own money. And one of those things was Coke. I loved Coke. And I got over that Coke addiction when I was 23. So I would love to know actually, because I'm sure that you have clients that are a lot like myself and my journey. I would love to hear your take on mindset for people who maybe like your journey was that you, you're very malleable when you're younger. But mm-hmm. your, neuro, your neuroplasticity, unless you actually work on it and work on learning new things, starts to decline after 25. So what's kind of your mindset philosophy? I would say the big thing for those who maybe catch on to health and fitness a little bit later in life is just awareness. First things first, you know, like you can't change anything unless you're truly aware of the reasons you're doing them and what you're doing as well. You know, on the outside looking in, you have probably clients all the time tell you that I'm only eating this and this per day and I don't know why I'm overweight. And then you actually get them to look into it. And of course, 
you know, they're eating, you know, at least double or triple of what they think they are, just not by any means of telling you a lie or anything like that, but just by a lack of awareness, you know, being so caught up in other things or maybe not wanting to truly, you know, look into the behaviors they're doing. So I think awareness is the first key step. And then digging a little deeper to where that truly comes from, you know, as you alluded to in your story, yours probably came from the fact that you grew up poor, you then wanted to have all the things that you were never able to have. And potentially if you had access to those when you were younger and you were able to have those in like, you know, time to time and they didn't feel like they were something locked away and a padlocked safe or something along those lines, it probably wouldn't have been so hard, you know, but then all of a sudden there's the, I can provide this for myself, you know, sugar in itself can be very addictive. And then there's everything that comes in that. And, you know, as much as there's probably a physiological aspect of that, a lot of it was psychological as well. So when clients are coming to me, it's more a sense of, bringing them to the point of awareness, you know, they've already brought themselves to a point of awareness knowing they want to change. And then it's just finding what that feedback loop is saying in terms of why they're doing the certain things they're doing. And then, as you said, with neuroplasticity, you know, it's just about unwiring that loop, breaking it, you know, just trying to question it first, you know, like, what is this actually doing for me? Is this serving me? And then I find that it's really hard. Obviously, duality exists, but having two conflicting beliefs is really hard to hold at the same time. So once you start Mm. questioning and breaking down the other, and not only break down the other, but kind of reinforcing this new feedback loop. And of course, it's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of rewiring and rewiring. But once that starts to get done, and you know, I love the quote from James Clear, which is like, every time you kind of make a choice, like it's a vote for the person that you want to be. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what it is. It's just reinforcing that new feedback loop and trying to do your best to unwire that old feedback loop as much as possible. But that makes it sound super simple. And of course, the actual actioning of that and the practicality of that is way more difficult. But in terms of the steps that need to be taken, to me, they're very simple and very clear from that perspective. Are you tired of constantly feeling burnt out while trying to achieve your goals? Do you find yourself struggling to maintain motivation and productivity over long periods of time? I'd like to introduce you to the Goal Getting Journal, the ultimate solution for those of you who want to surpass their goals without burning out. Our journal is designed to help you set achievable goals, track your progress, and maintain a healthy work-life balance. With our journal, you'll discover practical strategies for managing stress, staying motivated, and avoiding burnout, including time blocking, habit stacking, and so much more. You'll also learn how to prioritize your tasks and maximize your productivity so you can get more done in less time. The Goal-Getting Journal is perfect for anyone who wants to achieve their goals without sacrificing their mental health and well-being. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a student, or just someone who wants to make any positive change in your life, the Goal-Getting Journal can help you stay on track and avoid burnout. And for Holistic Fitness Podcast listeners, you can get 20% off your first journal using the code HF podcast. Go to goalgettingjournal.com and type HF podcast at checkout to get your discount. So what are you waiting for? Order the Goal Getting Journal today and start getting your goals without burning out. I love how you mentioned that it's really hard to hold two conflicting beliefs at the one time. What I see is people like get into affirmations and affirmations being like, I am this, I am a healthy eater, and but they don't quite believe it yet. So that simple piece of like asking yourself questions can help break down those beliefs. Like, why do I, you know, why do I choose to drink Coke? Oh, it's because I now overindulge because I was deprived back then. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, and that's kind of how they get that psychological or, you know, I got that psychological personally, how any of us get that psychological, um, you know, putting two and two together. 
I wish I had a smarter word for that, but just by putting two and two together in their mind, because it's really hard in the moment to build that awareness of, of why you're actually doing the thing that you already know is detrimental to your health. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And coming back to what you mentioned regarding like the conflicting belief side of things and the affirmations, I, I literally have a real prepared to come out in like a few days of saying that I'm like, it's not going to do any good if you don't genuinely believe that. And also like, maybe if we dig into it a little bit and ask ourselves the questions, like, is it wrong to have body goals? Like, absolutely not. You know? And I said, you know, we're living a human experience. Unfortunately enough, we're privileged to have a body. And that's why it's also important to look after that as well as just like affirm yourself that you're perfect the way you are and all this type of stuff. Like we need evidence, we need experience, we need examples of that. And that's what builds your personality and who you are. It's not just telling yourself, it's actually doing the things that create that person within you, right? Absolutely. Action is the best way to build new belief systems. Even if you shit at it to begin with, just take small action and then eventually those belief systems will come. You know what though? I do really want to touch on this. Um, we can have body goals. So something I see a lot of is a body positivity movement, which I think is extremely important. What Mm -hmm. are your observations on how you, how you help people be positive, body positive and love themselves as they are while also working towards a body transformation goal? Yeah, it's a, it's a fine balance because of a lot of us hold the belief that either we need to hate ourselves into doing something, as you kind of alluded to before we got on the conversation today, or they kind of need to be a little bit delusional by telling them all these things that aren't actually true yet. And I think either end of the spectrum is not the place that we want to be. And I think that the people who are most vocal are unfortunately on both ends of the spectrum, you know, they're either on that, you need to hate yourself in order to get in shape. You know, you need to be like David Goggins and shout at yourself in the mirror, (laughs) or you need to be this person who's, you know, 50 kilos overweight, who's telling them I'm perfect the way I am and all this type of stuff. And this may be the case for that individual and David Goggins, but it's probably not the case for 95% of the rest of us. You know, most of us sit somewhere in the middle. You know, we might lean towards the body acceptance. We might lean towards giving ourselves a hard time, but usually we're just somewhere in that middle. So I think the biggest thing, and most people come to me with the idea that, you know, they need to hate themselves in order to do something. And I mean, I've used motivation off the back of, you know, comments, you know, and not the kind of self-talk. And I know it can be, utilized for sure. But at the same time, you've got to understand your personality because with some people that can drive them into the ground and actually make them feel not motivated whatsoever. And on the other hand, if you're too nice to yourself, you know, instead of, ah, I'm perfect the way I am, you never do anything. So I think it's about finding what type of personality type that you have. Like for me, I'm okay with that negative self-talk because it doesn't get me down too much and I can turn that into fuel for the fire. But if I'm too nice to myself, then I'm like, oh, maybe I'm going to relax a little bit more. So like that little bit of you know, giving myself a little bit of a tough time, not to the extreme, as we mentioned earlier, can be very helpful. And I can utilize that very wisely. But at the same time, you just got to know who you are. And if too much of that is making you turn into a person who's just like giving yourself a hard time all the time, and any time that you go off track, you then give yourself an even tougher time. And then, you know, there's no victory or no positivity in sight. That's problematic. But at the same time, if you're being so nice to yourself that you don't do something, then you also have to say, well, maybe I do need to give myself a little bit of kick here. So I think it's about understanding that both extremes exist. It's highly unlikely that you're a part of that because if you were, you would know about it because you'd be shouting on Instagram or TikTok, wherever you want to be. And you're probably somewhere in the middle. So just find which side of that you lean towards and then, you know, 
do that self-talk with yourself. Just be mindful of being too critical, too easy. And then if you're going to get a coach, make sure they align with that as well. Because mm. some coaches are super like, you know, memories of the macros. We don't care too much about your progress. We just want you to feel a little bit better. And then others, uh, David Gorkenstein, like, you know, you're fat, you're lazy and all these horrible words that you don't really want to use on someone. So you just got to find the approach that best works for you and ultimately go down that route. I love everything you've just said. And it it almost reminds me of like, I'm not saying I'm a part of any side here, almost res- reminds me of politics in the US. The media that we get in Australia is very much like, this is what Americans are, this is what the politics are. And if you look at it in a surface level, it seems really divided, but really, you know, there's extreme Democrats, there's extreme Republicans, but most people sit in the middle where they kind of like agree with both sides on, on some sort mm-hmm. of things. And I feel like most people are in the middle yet, like we're so disconnected with so many different things. And I don't necessarily think that social media helps us be connected in some ways because often mm-hmm. it is very much that person that's like, you're fat phobic if you have a fat loss goal or like, then people that are David Goggins, where he literally calls himself a fat shit in the mirror. I love mm-hmm. David Goggins, by the way. I think there's amazing things I can learn from him, but that all the time isn't conducive to a lot of people as well. Um, I also love what you spoke about, about understanding your personality type with regards to the trainers you choose. And I actually developed an exercise personality quiz based on qualitative research of Mm. a lot of people I've trained, other trainers, you know, about a hundred different people. And it was based on like what people were motivated by, whether it was more that people focus or task focused, the task focus probably sitting more on that, like David Goggins spectrum. And then the personality types, um, the more people focus sitting more on like the needing the hype and stuff like that. When you're working with someone, like how do you help them understand what sort of training they're going to enjoy and stick at sustainably? I think I just have to listen to them. You know, I think people are very revealing. And as long as like for every person I work with as a client, I'm going to have a conversation with them. And I think a lot of it comes down to first having your own self-awareness, because once you understand yourself, it's much easier to understand others. And also trying to look beyond because of everyone when they sign up with a coach is very motivated, right? And everyone's going to promise to do 110 things a week when realistically, you know, seven weeks later, they can only do, you know, not even 30% of those things. So I think it's understanding that most people overpromise. And, you know, maybe 20 to 30% of those are going to stay true to what they mentioned in the first place, but the remainder are not. And just then going down the route in which you think is best for that person based on all the information that you've gathered. Like, even if someone says, like, I'm hyper ready and I want to go 110%, I'm going to be like, let's start with minimum effective dose. Like, let's get you enough so that you remain motivated, but let's not burn you out at week five. Because of I find that a lot of people have fifth gear, but they only otherwise have first. They miss out second, third, and fourth. And second, third, and fourth is really what's going to allow these things to be sustainable on a long-term basis. And sometimes a fat loss journey can, you know, if you're really diligent and, you know, you go through the full process of getting in shape and, you know, reverse dieting and being able to maintain that, it's like a minimum of six months. It's still a long time to like sustain your efforts, to stay on point and everything. And that's if you do really well. If you have a few weeks off here and there, you know, that's 
you know, potentially spanning over to the point of 9, 12, 16, 18, 24 months. So, you know, it's just about maybe using your own experience as a coach to say, okay, you know, I know that you have to be hyper, like I know myself, like I can be super motivated. Like I used to be more obsessed with the fitness than I am now. And I know even the robotic approach was sometimes hard to maintain. And I know that you've got a wife, you've got a husband, you've got kids. Like I did this when I was like a 19, 20 year old kid, and that was hard enough for me. So if you've got all these other responsibilities and you don't care as much about fitness as I do, there's no way that you can do this for the next 12 to 16 weeks. And I'm happy for you to prove me wrong. We can change approach if we want to, but I'd much rather start with you like, pushing a little bit with sustainability in mind versus going 110% and then you dropping off in five weeks and us having to do what we were going to do at the start anyway, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love that. I bet you bring so much value to your clients just with that because people so... All of us overpromise. Like even myself, like I have, I'm just like, I'm going to do all the things in my business. And then it's like, oh, Laurie, like, let's revisit that. Everything takes three times longer than you think. <laughs> Absolutely. My New Year's resolution this year was to make sure I didn't take on anything new. It was actually just to stay focused on the projects that I had going on in my life. Because I was like, I love taking on new things. It's like, well, every idea is an exciting one. So let me like, invest myself here. And I'm like, I'm balancing and juggling like five or six projects. And I'm trying to have a relationship and trying to have like, I'm trying to be a family member and a friend. And it's like, (laughs) you know, I'm running out of energy and time and yeah, I was in the day to be honest. So my resolution was like, okay, just stick with the things that you have and do very well at them. So that served me very well for this first quarter of the year anyway. Yes, I love that. I feel the same with fitness as well. I feel like a lot of people see the shiny new toy with fitness. It's like, oh, TikTok says that Pilates is really good. I'm going to try that. Oh, you know, I'm going to try hot girl walks. Oh, I'm going to try going to the gym and doing this. But it's like, you've got to figure out what you genuinely enjoy. You've actually got to stick at it for quite some time. And and hey, if you do three months of, of lifting weights and it sucks the life out of you, then find something, some other sort of resistance training, you know, find something that is actually going to be enjoyable and sustainable. But a lot of us just don't stick long enough at it to decide if the return is worth the investment. And that's probably one of the worst things, right? Because that's what leads you to thinking nothing works for me. Yeah. But it's not that nothing works for you. It's just that you've not given anything enough time for it to work with you. And it might be that you're also too attached to one idea of doing something. And it's great to commit to a goal and to really focus on weight training because that's what your coach has recommended. And yeah, like I'm not going to be shy of saying that I do absolutely recommend weight training for people who are on a fat loss journey with me. And that's, you know, most people, and obviously we, we spoke about, you know, you mentioned thigh gap earlier. Right now, thigh gap is not the trend. It's, you know, it's to have shape, is to have, you know, the booty you want, is to have the shoulders and chest and abs that you want, right? And that requires building some form of muscle. So I'm going to say that. But at the same time, if you find yourself like dreading every single session, and then we need to work out like, how can you do this on a long-term basis? And it's like, do your goals matter some more to you? And can you sustain it based on your goals? Because I remember having a client on my own podcast and he was like, it's more of a sense of saying, I don't love to do it, but I love the return on investment. And he's like, so I can get myself to the gym because of it's the same as brushing my teeth or doing any of this, this stuff that, you know, it's not super interesting, but I understand what it gives me back. And he can stay motivated based on that. And that's beautiful for him. But there's some people who won't be able to do that. They're like, I'm sick and tired of weight training. I don't care if it gets me the best booty in the world. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. So that's why we need to go find something else. And even if it's a less optimal approach and it's not going to necessarily get you the 
best results that you want to get to, I'd much rather, and again, I said this in one of my reels today, it's like, you may as well have the most like impractical workout ever. You, like, you can do Zumba or whatever you want to do if you can sustain that for two years versus your hyper-optimized hyper training routine. I couldn't care less about that if you can't stick with it after six weeks, right? Yeah, I totally get that. That's so funny you mentioned those two examples as well. That's the other two parts of the personality quiz that it basically touches. Are they more results orientated or experience orientated? And mm-hmm. I'm so in alignment with you with regards to like lifting weights, resistance training is the best way to transform your body into whatever you want because Absolutely. you can progressively overload. There's just so many different ways that you can adjust the circumstances because it's an external weight that you mm-hmm. just don't get with your body weight. So it is the best method, but not everyone falls in love with it, unfortunately. Yeah, it's something we just have to consider. And that's where you just got to be really realistic about your expectations and understand that, you know, hopefully if you do go to a coach or you do your own research, and you discover that this is what it takes. And, you know, like we're not in, you know, we're not being sponsored by dumbbells or gyms or anything like that. We're just saying it because it genuinely works. Then you got to recognize that, like you mentioned, are you more based around the experiences or, are you, or can you find somewhere in the middle, actually? You know, maybe you can mm-hmm. go to the gym one or two times a week, you know, only spending two hours weight training. And then the rest of the time you do whatever you want, you dance, you run, you play a sport, whatever that might be to you. And it might be a little bit of a longer process to get your result, but at least you'll be on your way to there rather than, again, committing four times a week, not doing anything that you enjoy. And then, like we've mentioned before, like running into a wall some months later. Yeah. And there's ways to increase the experience as well. Like, hate the music at the gym, put on some sick tunes, like your favorite tunes. Or, you know, do you want like, or even do you feel really good in cute clothes? Like buy yourself some really cute clothes. Single, get a gym crush. Never talk Mm -hmm. to them, but you'll enjoy (laughs) and get excited about going to the gym if you have a gym crush. It's like so many different ways to hack it. So I think you said earlier that I was really curious about that I've not heard is minimum effective dose. So minimum effective dose is what we were talking about with regards to like um, being in that more second gear or third gear. Can you tell Mm -hmm. me what the like minimum effective dose is for most people who want to lose fat or transform their body in some ways? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked that question because anyone I ask that question to, they're like, everyone's so specific. Everyone has different goals. So I can't give you the answer to that question. I'm like, just give me an answer. Like the people want to hear this. So yes. I'm going to give an answer, but we have to understand the perspective that everyone is different. Like that's a very, you know, factual piece of information. But at the same time, there are trends. And what I've typically, you know, found with the people that I work with, and, you know, they are anywhere from 25 up to maybe 45 years old. They're men and women. They're not super crazy experienced in the gym. They kind of come from a background like myself or yourself. Maybe they had a little bit of sporting experience. Maybe they didn't. And I find that for most people with fat loss goals, getting them started on a minimum of two to three training sessions per week tends to be a very effective place to go. Anywhere between 45 to 60 minutes of focused work is amazing. And the reason why I've learned to lean towards three, I should say, is because of most people underestimate the fact that training is a skill. So by doing it a little bit more frequently, you're therefore going to get better. You're therefore going to have more effective training sessions. And we kind of speed up that learning curve by you having more frequency of training. So that's why anywhere between two and three. But from an activity perspective, two to three is perfect. 
I usually then recommend some form of cardio work, not just from a fat loss perspective, but also from a general health perspective as well. And that's, again, anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes, depending on who you are. And then the next aspect is kind of your general daily expenditure in the form of the steps that you're doing. And it really comes down to where you're at right now. Um, I don't necessarily stick with this 10K every single day. Like it's a nice guideline for many people, but if you work from home, if you're you're a remote worker, 10K is a lot of steps, right? If you don't really leave your house that much. So if someone tells me they're on two to four K, I'm like, perfect, let's try three to five, you know? And that's where I go with the steps. So that's my minimum effective dose. It's like keeping them in the range that they're in, but just bumping that up that little bit. And then when it comes to a nutrition standpoint, I'm basically going to put them on the highest calories that based on the calculations that I do behind their experience level, their current activity and everything like this, this is where it is a little bit more specific. I'm going to put them on the highest calories I possibly can that I still believe is going to elicit a decent result. And what I see as a decent result for any fat loss client I work with is about 1% of their body weight per week. That tends to be a pretty good range. And it doesn't have to be 1% every week. It might be 075 one week and 1.25 the next week. But as long as we're hanging in and around that zone, that's a significant mm-hmm. amount for any person who's going to spend three, six, nine, 12 months committed to their journey. So that's what minimum effective dose looks like to me. And then it's the case of saying, does it work? Let's try it out for two, three weeks. Let's not touch anything. Let's see if it works. And if it elicits the results that we want, that 1%, amazing. You found your minimum effective dose. If it's a little bit more, we might have gone, we might have overshot. And that's amazing. We can either stay there and capitalize on the results or we rein things in a bit. Or if it's not enough, either you're not doing everything as you say you are, which it tends to be <laughs> the case about 80 by yes. 90% of the time. Or maybe we need to increase things a little bit. I would bring down the calories a little bit, increase your expenditure, or look at other areas, you know, all the other areas that we we know that are important in regards to sleep, hydration, digestion, all that type of stuff as well. So that's what minimum effective dose looks like to me and the clients that I work with. I love that. And I love the way that you explain that. And I would completely agree with regards to that general approach as well. I mean, a lot of people know that they need to be moving more and eating often to get the results. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, moving often and eating well to get the results they want. I'm really curious. Yeah, yeah. Well, for some people it is. I am very jealous of of especially (laughs) my male friends that are putting on weight and they can eat like 3000 calories a day. I'm like, oh, lucky you. Or maybe unlucky (laughs) you because I know they struggle with eating a lot. lot, Yeah, the grass is always greener, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high-energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals, and sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goal-getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full-spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full-spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified 
organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez and Dr. Will Cole. Ned is providing Holistic Fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give Ned a try, listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code Lori Lee. L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. I'm really curious about one thing you mentioned earlier around reverse dieting. So can you explain like why somebody might need to reverse diet and what that actually is? I think anyone who has gone through a fat loss phase for an extended period of time, whether that be on and off, whether that be three months, six months, nine months, a year, whatever that might be, should probably go through a reverse diet. And the idea behind a reverse diet is the fact that during the process of a diet, we all know that you need to bring down your calories and you tend to need to increase your expenditure. And you get to a point where that for a period of time, for me anyway, what I notice is at the very back end of your fat loss phase, it's probably an unsustainable amount, not something you would want to maintain for a very long period of time. And that's something that I'm very true to within my approach to the fat loss. It's like, let's make this as sustainable as long as we can whilst getting your results. But at a certain period, we might have to go for a stage of unsustainability to get you to the place that you really want to be. I always say it's like having a deadline or working towards some exams, right? It's like generally you're just studying at a steady pace or you're working at a steady pace. But when you're working towards that deadline or that exam, you have to push a little bit more. You spend a little bit more time. You do a few of those late nights. You know you're not doing it forever, but it's just to achieve a certain goal. And I feel the same about fat loss. Not for everyone, but for many people. So we're going to go into that realm, I should say, of unsustainability for a small period of time. So when we finish the fat loss phase, we're not in the place that we want to just leave you and go, you know, go enjoy your life because you're not going to. You're going to be on a lower set of calories, not going to have a huge amount of energy from food, and you're probably going to be on a high amount of expenditure as well. So we can't just say, okay, you know, here we go. Just go back to doing what you were doing before. Like if you do that, you tend to gain weight pretty fast. So what we want to do is we want to strategically come out of there. What we've got to recognize is that the metabolism for the most part is probably slowed down during the process of this weight loss. You're no longer a heavier individual, which means you probably don't expend as many calories. Your metabolism may have slowed down during this process, depending on how long you've been dieting for. And maybe you did some damage to your metabolic rate and all that type of thing with unsuccessful diets in the past. And you finally found an approach that worked, but you know, you had to go lower than you really had to in order to get your results because you did some damage in the lead up. So we need to find where your new baseline is. And we can't just guess. And if I know that there's some people who have the idea of just bringing you back up to what they think their maintenance is, I don't like that idea because I think a lot of my clients are like, I've just gotten into shape. Like, I don't want to see three kilos come on in a week, even if I'm going to just stay there for like the next year. So I like a steady approach. You know, I like to bring back in calories slowly. I like to bring up, I bring down expenditure. And my first client, my first question to my clients, I should say, when they finish their fat loss phase is, what does sustainability look like for you? 
you know, what does sustainability look like for you from a training perspective, from a nutrition perspective? And that's our goal. You know, we're going to travel up in terms of the calories to make you feel good. We want your hormones in a good place. We want your mood in a good place. We want your energy levels in a good place. Same with expenditure as well. It's amazing if you say, I want to maintain that weekly run because I love it and I want to continue on that. Okay, fantastic. That probably gives us more room to give you more food. So, it's, you know, it's amazing. But I usually say again, coming back to that minimum effective dose, if you want to maintain your results, you probably need to do two to four exercise sessions per week, maybe a distribution between cardio and weights, whatever you want to do. So we need to find, you know, the happy blend between that. And then it's a slow and steady work towards that. And it's a hard process, but what I try and let my clients know before we even get started is this is an extension of your fat loss phase. Don't think of, mm. you know, you reach the finish line as soon as you've hit your goal weight, you know, it's like, that's just telling you the end is like, not the end, but like the next checkpoint, the real one you want to be in is at sight, you know, getting to your goal is not the end of your journey. You know, we need to make sure that you sustain that. Well, at least anyway, that's something I'm passionate about. And I'm sure you are as well, Laurie. It's like, we want people to sustain those results. So it's like, okay, well, this is like the first checkpoint to let you know that you're kind of at the front end of your new life here you've just got to travel a little bit further so we can maintain this and then also so you might not need me as a coach anymore like i'm very Mm -hmm. very passionate about people saying like if you don't feel like if you've got your results and you can sustain it and you don't want to like work on some new goals like i want you to spread your wings and go i want you to refer three of your friends to me but i also do (laughs) need to go right like that's what i want i want you to leave with a super positive experience and getting the results that you want to so it's really important for me that clients go through that process of building back up so that they feel good. They know that like their results aren't just going to leave overnight because they're like, I can't stick to this you know, nutrition plan anymore. The training is too much. So the goal is to get them to a sustainable position. And that's what the reverse diet is all about for me. Yeah, I love that. I love so much of what you just said. I feel like if I was in Mexico City right now, we would have like the longest chat about so many things. <laughs> but, you know, one thing that I loved was, you know, that fat loss goal is just the start of your journey. I think a lot of people come into things with an aesthetic goal. And I think that's why it's so important for people if they don't have a coach or us as coaches to provide people with more goals than the aesthetic. There needs to be a mental goal. There also needs to be functional goals. So people do continue on the reverse dieting. I also love that you mentioned about like um, you you slowly increase the calories. And I think a lot of women especially are surprised when they come into training to realize that they're under eating. Like they genuinely are mm-hmm. trying so many things, but they've actually messed up their p- metabolism by under eating and dieting. And it's uh-huh. like, no, we actually need to eat more and please trust this process um, because it will will get better for you. And the other thing you mentioned was the training three to four times a week. And we've spoken about resistance training. So can you tell me and tell all the listeners why resistance training is the ideal way to um, lose fat? Well, I think that the big part that a lot of us miss in the fat loss equation is that it's not just about losing body fat, it's about muscle retention, right? It's about keeping the muscle that you already have because of most people, as we know now, they just don't want to be a smaller version of themselves. They want to be in shape. You know, they want to have that toned physique. I know a lot of us have some, you know, <laughs> what's, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Some challenges around the word toned, right? But that's mm-hmm. the way that people speak. They want muscles that look like they give them shape. They want those nice lines in their stomach, their arms, men and women. We, we pretty much all want this universally. 
And that cannot be created by just being a small version of yourself. You need to have some muscle. And therefore, like most of us to begin with, if we're fortunate enough to be blessed with genetics or we trained in the past or we did some type of sport, we might have a little bit there. Most of us do have a little bit there. We have a little bit of shape there. So the first thing we need to think about in a fat loss phase is that you know, if you've never trained before, and if you're someone who doesn't have too much in terms of the way of muscle in the early stages of your fat loss journey, you might actually get away with gaining a little bit of muscle, you know, during that process of kind of moving into a bit of a deficit, you know, anecdotally, I've really seen that work for a lot of people, especially when I was in more of an in-person personal trainer. And that's amazing because that's going to help you with that shape that you want towards the end. But for a lot of other, like the, the remainder of us, it's all about retaining what we already have because the muscle is very, very hard to gain, yet fat is relatively easy to lose. And I, you know, I say that gently because I know a lot of people are like, it's not easy to lose, Ellie. I've been doing this for 20, 30 years. What are you talking about? But no, it's muscle building is a lot harder. It requires a lot more energy and a lot more kind of effort and attention to detail to maintain muscle, whereas fat loss can happen just as a byproduct of, you know, just reducing your calories below your maintenance, right? But obviously, then it comes with weight loss in terms of muscle and all these other things. But I digress. And that's why we really want to think about this. Like, that's the missing equation, I think, of when people think about their fat loss goals. Is like, you don't just want to be a shrunk down version of yourself. Again, some people do, but not many. If you could choose your ideal physique, and again, I think I've mentioned this in the past, it's like, if you could choose to have the physique of your dreams right now, most people would choose, like, I know I would, I would choose a physique where I had nice big shoulders, you know, a decent sized chest and lean midsection and everything like that. If you told me, like, I could just rub a, a genie's lamp and have that physique without doing any work, I would take that. I'd also guarantee that 99% of people would take that, meaning that you probably want some form of tone, some form of shape and everything along those lines. So that's where resistance training comes in. You know, it's going to be the thing that creates the shape in your body. And that's what you said earlier as well. It's like, that's the way to do it. And you might be blessed with genetics. You might have done a certain sport that helps you with building that muscle. But if you haven't, you know, your kind of uh, tools to build that and to like create your sculpture is the weights that you use. And then maybe it's like the nutrition that you eat and the sleep that you get. But that's going to be a way to create that physique that you truly, truly want. And that's why it's so important. And just to add on another point, because of some people like, well, I don't really want muscle. And I'm like, okay, you're not going to turn into She-Hulk or Hulk overnight. But also at the same yeah. time, if you're an older person, you've got to recognize that you know, the muscle on your frame is going to be the thing that helps you stand up off a chair when you're older. You know, it's not going to be about like, you know, flexing your bicep. It's literally going to be the thing that supports you to ensure that you don't fall on the ground. And muscle doesn't get easy to build, you know, easier to build as you get aging, you know? So if you could do this whilst you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, you're giving your future self a major advantage as well. And I trust, you know, trust me, and you can trust Laura, you're not going to turn into she or he Hulk anytime soon, unless you're super lucky, but none, not many of us are. <laughs> it is so hard to build muscle that quickly. Mm. I am so glad, I don't know if you've noticed about this with clients, but I am so glad that like, a higher percentage of people seem to be more comfortable with building muscle because of this booty trend. 10 years, Absolutely. not so much. But now people are like, all right, okay, I'll do some squats. <laughs> it's so true. And it's amazing how trends change. And the unfortunate thing, well, not unfortunate, but the thing usually with trends is that you're usually coming back into fashion. So I'm just yeah. hoping that you know, the whole being super skinny thing again, doesn't come back into fashion because I think that this, you know, wanting to have a bigger booty and wanting to fill out your clothes more, it actually promotes a more healthy physique. So, I mean, maybe yeah. it increases the amount of surgery that people have, but that's another topic for another day. So. 
For sure. And I do think because of our access to information, I did allude to, allude to it being toxic in some ways, but there's so many amazing creators like such as yourself out there promoting a holistically fit lifestyle and promoting this balance of rest and work. And hey, look, working out three times a week is enough and, and this is how you should structure it because there are so many amazing people out there on the internet as well. And you can curate your feed for yeah. you know whatever you want to perpetuate. Absolutely. And when I started my journey, when I was very you know, much younger and like spanning back maybe like 15 years ago or so now, like I didn't have access to that information, you know, mm-hmm. like the only information I had was like, luckily, you know, those men's health articles that sent me down the route of Zac Efron's diet and, you know, those men's health magazines. But, you know, you didn't Instagram, I don't think it even existed then. Maybe Facebook maybe did, but like it didn't have an abundance of nutritional information. It was maybe like bodybuilding.com, but it was very limited. Now you have something for everything. Like it doesn't matter if you have the most niche goal in the world, I guarantee there's someone out there on Instagram or TikTok or Facebook talking about it. And that is a blessing. Absolutely. I could talk to you for so long, as I mentioned, but we are coming up to time here. Have we? Is there anything that you really, really wanted to chat about today that you haven't expressed or shared yet? No, I feel like the main things that I've said in terms of beautifully questions asked in the sense of going down the route of recognizing that we don't have to lose our entire lives in order to get the results that we want. I think the main thing that I'd probably try to finish on to let people know is that, you know, if you have got these extraordinary goals, then extraordinary results are going to be required and you will have to give a lot of yourself in order to achieve those. But if your goals are pretty lofty, but they don't go into the realm of you being an athlete or out of the 1% of the people in your country, you can probably do it in a pretty relaxed way, as long as you're patient, as long as you're persistent. And as long as, like you mentioned earlier, you don't get shiny object syndrome and chase something new all the time. Like just find something that works well for you, stick with it and try and integrate your lifestyle within it. And you'll live a very happy and fit life. That was so well said. Like, I I can't wait to clip that and put that on Instagram. That was amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Such a good way to summarize. We do actually have a closing question on this podcast, Elliot. And that question is, if you were sitting across the table from your 20-year-old self right now, what one sentence of advice would you give him? My 20-year-old self? 20, yes. Perfect. I'd probably tell him to be a little more patient and a little bit more kind to himself. I think that the approach that I took took me to where I am. But at the same time, we probably could have had a little bit more fun and a little bit more of a enjoyable process in getting there rather than him feeling like, you know, just getting whipped every single session, you know, like it would have been a much smoother process to get where I am. If he was just like, be patient, trust what you're doing. That doesn't mean don't stop working, keep working, but you can be a little kinder to yourself in the process. I hope that that's what I would be able to say to myself. And I hope that he would take that advice as well. He wouldn't just tell me to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I feel like people listening who are speaking to themselves can really take that as well. Be patient, trust the process and be kind while you're doing it. Say thank you to your body for doing what you're doing rather than looking in the mirror and not being happy with what you see. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure so many people just really want to get to know more about your work, Elliot. Where can we find you? Ah, thank you so much for having me first and foremost. And there's a few places to find me. The place I'm most active is Instagram. That's at Elliot Hassoon and it's double L, single T. And the Hassoon is... <laughs> one S double O is a little hard for people to get. 
Uh, the other place to find me is I have a podcast. We're coming out to like 366 episodes. It's the Simply Fit podcast. And you can listen to episodes twice a week, one with a guest and one done solo. And Laurie, I definitely want to have you on the show at some point soon. And the final place to find me is I have a workout channel, like a home workout channel that you can find on YouTube. You just need to search my name, Elliot Hassoon, and you'll find a bunch of anywhere between five to 20 minute home workouts that you can do with dumbbells, without dumbbells. And that's the place, place to keep up with all the work that I'm doing. Ah, you have so many solutions and so many solutions for so many different people as well. So (laughs) I'll definitely ensure all of those are in the show notes. I would love to have a chat to you on your podcast as well. I feel like we just vibe. And yeah, I've just really appreciated having you as a guest today, Elliot. The pleasure was mine, Laurie. And I'm definitely going to take you up on that. And yeah, if you're listening or if you're a frequent listener of this podcast, then head over when Laurie's episode goes live on mine. Amazing. Sounds good. And for everybody listening, whether you're at home, in the car, wherever you happen to be listening to the podcast today, eat well, move well, breathe well. And until next time, keep shining.